What's up? It's your boy, Ruby Rube, coming at you from the Gathering Strength Podcast. Vietis equitit iundo. That is Latin for we gather strength as we go. Now, I am broadcasting out of the beautiful, lovely, and expensive Livermore, California. And today, like always, I have a doozy of a podcast. Oh yeah, one that is going to thoroughly cover your skin in goose pimples and erect the hairs on the back of your neck. Now, a few weeks ago, you know, these social media algorithms, they know you. They pull together all of your searches and they spit out you know, things that are going to interest you because ultimately they want to consume all of your time. They want to have as many eyeballs fixed and locked on the screens so that the mindless scrolling can continue and that you can boost their ad revenue. So that's why they want to get to know you. And sometimes, you know, these algorithms, they're on point. For example, a lot of my searches on YouTube has to do with mindset. A lot of my searches on Google have to do with looking up books. You know, and and they're all in cahoots together. Amazon sells my searches to Google. Google sells my searches to Facebook. Facebook sells my searches to Instagram. And they all have a digital profile that is a a representation of my likes and interests. So they bombard me with all of these things like, hey, you, you like this, you might like this. Hey, since you searched up that, how about this over here? And I'm like, ooh, yeah, click, 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 rabbit hole, rabbit hole. And down deeper we go. Next thing you know, I'm looking up on how to boil a pot of worms. And you know what? Man, the internet has everything on there. I think... On a number of years back, I was like, I was trying to find something that the internet didn't have. And so I, I try to think of the most, the most random thing. So I put uh, in YouTube, how to boil a pot of worms. And sure enough, there was some person living in, the, in a third world country who was cooking a pot of worms that was boiling over a campfire because they were going to be getting down on some on worms so yep everything that you want to find out about and look into and dig a little bit deeper on look no further the internet has you covered and you know what this is another sentiment that I believe that there's no reason to remain in the dark on any answer that you want to figure out and find out a little bit more on So whatever your inquiries are and your queries, amen, figure it out. So, which brings me to the point of this book that I recently finished. The title of the book is called 23 Minutes in Hell. And throughout my life, I have heard about, you know, all of these things that people have experienced that are hard to believe whether it is people talking about alien abductions, people seeing Sasquatch or UFOs or ghosts, Dracula, Frankenstein, the abominable snowman, you name it. 
There's people out there who are talking in depth about their their situation that they experienced. And a lot of them, they, they're compelling, which is fascinating, right? Because the way that they speak about it, you would think that this normal, this regular, seemingly normal person would never lie about their particular story. But man, you know what? There's, there's crazy people out there. You never know who you're talking to. Fact is always stranger than fiction. And man, you, you never really know. So this book that was recommended to me, there was a YouTube interview, and the gentleman's name was Bill Weiss. And so I started to watch the YouTube video. I was on a lunch break, and so I was watching the YouTube video, and it was a man talking about his experience in hell. <laughs> Sheesh, right? So th- this guy, he, he was clean cut. A conservative white guy spoke well. All of his experiences, they were backed with biblical scripture. And so it was gripping. It was fascinating. He was talking on a, on a well-produced uh, TV show. And so his book, 23 Minutes in Hell, is a book by Bill Weiss. And it recounts his claimed near-death experience where he alleges to have spent 23 minutes in hell. He describes the intense torment, despair, and darkness he encountered, emphasizing the urgency of repentance and faith in order to avoid such eternal punishment. The book combines personal anecdotes, biblical references, and Weiss's interpretations to provide a vivid and alarming portrayal of hell's horrors as he perceived them. Religion is fascinating because it is something that has been talked about since the beginning of time. There's going to be the doubters, the believers, the people who are on the fence, the saints, the sinners. Just countless stories and interpretations of people who believe what is true, what is absolute. And what is false and what is misleading, what is right, what is wrong. And I'm just a guy. (laughs) I'm just a guy who inherited this earth at this particular time, who has traveled a particular journey that is exclusive onto myself. And as far as I can tell, here is the the fundamental thought that comes to my mind based upon everything that I know. Now, if you were to put a gamble on it, hey, God exists or doesn't exist, that's 50-50 chance. Maybe he does exist, maybe he doesn't exist. Alright, so that's a, a coin toss, right? Heads or tails. Now let's say God does exist, that he sent Jesus to this earth to die for the sins of the world and was crucified and resurrected and ascended into heaven. Now, 
there's a 50-50 chance that that happened. And how can you place a bet so high on such a thing as your soul to place a bet and be like, nope, I'm going to rebuke all that. I didn't see it with my eyes. I didn't see it with my eyes, so I'm not going to believe it. And I'm going to reject all of that. And I'm going to place the bet of my soul, of my eternal soul, that I may or may not even have. Now, the confusion and the the fogginess of, all right, hey, so maybe I, I do have a soul. Now, which God do I believe in? Uh, which philosophy do I devote my my life to? You know, there's so many distractions out there. Ultimately, if you believe that you have a soul and there's an afterlife, you're, you're going to have to pick. <laughs> you know, so it's one of those things that are, it's like, all right, how do you know you have the right one? And I'm not going to tell you what to do. I'm not going to tell you what to believe in. I believe in God. I believe in Jesus. I believe that he came to this earth and died for the sins of man and then was crucified and then ascended into heaven. That's just my beliefs. Now, I didn't see it with my eyes. I'm not connected to anyone who has seen it other than faith. Now, if you have a mindset to where you think that you have all of the universes and the Earth's answers solved in your eight pound brain that is encapsulated in your skull and how arrogant is that for you to think that your truth that you are deciding is so absolutely true that you're willing to risk the potential soul that resides in your body man that that's a that's one heck of a gamble Now, we don't need to become saints or the Pope or a religious leader because according to biblical scripture, uh, there's a biblical quote referencing the faith the size of a mustard seed. Man, and go ahead and Google the size of a mustard seed and see how small that is. It's very tiny. And if you look up in biblical scripture, Matthew 17, 20, where Jesus says, Truly I tell you, if you have the faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. And this quote highlights the power and significance of even a small amount of faith. And that is to emphasize the potential for great things to be achieved through belief and trust in God. Now, once again, that's all you need to have is the faith, the size of a mustard seed. Now, if you are, are on the fence of whether to believe or not, why not give it a try? What do you have to lose other than e eternal damnation? And you know what? I don't make these rules. I'm a sinner. I have sinned in the past. Unfortunately, I'm going to sin in the future. We all fall short. 
of the glory of God. And man, that that is a, a tough pill to swallow. But man, all you have to do is have the faith the size of a mustard seed. Can, can you can you get that much faith? Just that little bit? And that is going, that biblical scripture is emphasizing the potential for great things to be achieved through belief and trust in God. Just the faith, faith the size of a mustard seed. Now, it's easy to doubt things that we cannot see or have not seen with our own eyes. And for the people out there like that, they are called the doubting Thomases of the world. And because they are blind, they will lead people blindly, and the blind will lead the blind. So a biblical quote about doubting Thomas can be found in John 20, 27 through 29. It says, Then he, Jesus, said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, Because you have seen me, you have, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. And the passage is to highlight Jesus' response to Thomas's doubt and emphasizes the importance of faith even without physical proof. Now, to hearken back to, Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. And because we haven't seen with our own eyes, we can still feel with our spirit. And a lot of people, a lot of people can misconstrue that internal consciousness that we have that dictates right and wrong. You know, that is our, our, our conscience. That is our Holy Spirit. That is the internal struggle between doing the hard right thing and the easy wrong thing. Now, the hard right thing, that is going to make us uh, stronger. That's going to make our faith stronger. That's going to put us in a better position. That is going to help us grow on in every realm. The buff body, mind, spirit, and bank. And doing the easy wrong thing, that's going to lead us down the mountain into the wilderness and ultimately off a cliff or into a pit of snakes or just, man, deeper out into the dark forest. So I'm going to be jumping into the book right now. The book is called 23 Minutes in Hell. A one-man story about what he saw, heard, and felt in that place of torment. And the reason why I like reading stuff like this is because, once again, it puts in the forefront of my mind where my sinful thoughts, behaviors, and actions, and the inability to curb my fleshly desires and to stifle those actions, this is where it's going to lead me into separation from God, from light, from love, from peace, from, from, uh, from everything beautiful and great. It's going to separate me from all that. And it's going to immerse me into this pit, this pit of hell. So uh, Bill Weiss, he's not the first guy 
to claim that he has experienced hell. And you know, the fascinating thing about this book is that his experience, it is backed by all of these verses in the Bible that coincide with his experience and is fascinating. Now, the doubters, the unbelievers, the deceivers, you can easily say that, hey, this man constructed the story based upon, you know, sussing out and finding these biblical scriptures. And he went through the Bible and found these scriptures and he constructed this story. Hey, yeah, you know what? Maybe he did. Maybe he didn't. Once again, it's a 50-50 chance. But... That's a lot of, of, no, that's one heck of a, a wager to place upon. So, let's dive into the book. Um, the book starts off. So, November 22nd, 1988, it was the night he was catapulted in, into the vi- very pit of hell. And it started at 3 a.m. when he woke up. He was thirsty, or he was going to do something. He was in the kitchen, and then all of a sudden, this is when his journey happened. Alright, into the book. With its walls of rough stone and rigid bars on the door, I felt as though I was in a temporary holding area. A place where a prisoner would wait his final hours before meeting a far more terrifying destiny. Isaiah 24-22 says, And they shall be gathered together as prisoners are gathered in the pit and shall be shut up in the prison. Proverbs 7.27 refers to chambers of death in hell. He says, Evil and terror stood before me. Man, can you imagine that? What would, What is your worst vision of evil and terror if you were to personify what evil looks like, what terror looks like? Oh, hey, he goes on to describe evil and terror, the the personification. Oh, sheesh. All right. So evil and terror stood before me. Those creatures were a intensely concentrated manifestation of those two forces. So there he is in a in a pit in a chamber with evil and terror. The, man- the concentrated manifestation of those two forces. So, let's go on and read some more. Because, you know what? This book, it is over uh, like 230 pages. I'm only going to read you a handful of paragraphs. So you can go ahead and use your imagination to the gems and descriptions of hell and torment and redemption that are contained within the words of this book. Go out and buy it for yourself. It is a great read. He goes on to write, I noticed that I had absolutely no strength in my body. I could barely move. Why didn't I have strength? I felt so defenseless. Psalm 88.4 says, I am counted with them that go down into the pit. I am as a man that has no strength. So there he is in hell, and he just feels weak. He could barely move. And then it's backed up with biblical scripture, and it says, um, I am as a man that has no strength. So, 
plan on being powerless in hell. Because guess where, you, guess where your strength comes from? Your strength comes from God, from Jesus, from the Holy Spirit. And when you are separated from that, you're separated from everything. The book goes on to write, I knew it was much more than physical weakness I was feeling. Indeed, it was weakness of every form. I was mentally and emotionally drained, even though I had only been there a few minutes. Most of us have experienced a loss of strength and energy after intense weeping, emotional distress, or grief. After a time of healing, we, re- we regain that strength, though it may take years. However, at the moment, I felt that there would never be a time for recuperating from the literal weight that had fallen upon me. A weight of hopelessness and despair. Sheesh, is that heavy or what? So here is a subchapter, and it's called The Living Dead. Um, I pleaded for mercy, but they had none, because right now he's being torn to shreds by the personification that was manifested in front of him in a concentrated form. They had no mercy on him, and they seemed incapable of it. They were pure evil, and no mercy existed in that place. Mercy is from God in heaven. I was conscious of the fact that there was no fluid coming from my wounds. No blood, no water, nothing. At this time, I did not stop to wonder why. I was extremely nauseated from the terrible foul stench coming from these creatures. It was absolutely disgusting, foul, and rotten. It was, the, it was by far the most putrid smell I have ever encountered. He goes on to, de- to describe hell. Like the man in torment in Luke 16.23, just one drop of water would have been so precious to me. It was difficult to conceive a world without any water. It would truly be most miserable. It is impossible for any of us to imagine such, such extreme dryness. Water has always been very valuable and pleasurable to my wife and me, and now so much more. Water is life-giving substance, and in hell there is no life of any kind. All is dead. There was no work, no goals, no wisdom, and no opportunity to speak to anyone or to solve any problem. There was no need to offer advice, help, or comfort of any kind. Purpose was non-existent. All life was over, and the useless, wasting away, permeated my being. He goes on to talk about the fire that is in hell. Some scientists have reported that the core temperature at the center of the earth is approximately 12,000 degrees. To endure that for an eternity is unfathomable. He goes on to say, I could see the outlines of people through the flames. The screams from the condemned souls were deafening and relentless. There was no safe place, no safe moment, no temporary relief of any kind. In the media, we have heard of the merciless acts of terrorists. In some cases, their victims knew death would come by brutal decapitation. Try to imagine the terror these victims must have felt as they waited their fate. In hell, 
This state of fear never ceases for even one second. It lasts for eternity. I also experienced the misery of total exhaustion in hell. The continual emotional, mental, and physical trauma feeds this vicious cycle of sleep deprivation. You desperately long for even a few minutes of rest, but you never, ever get that privilege. Imagine for a moment how terrible you feel after 48 hours of no sleep. In hell, you never sleep, rest, or find a quiet moment. Any form of rest is non-existent. There is never any peace of mind. There is no rest from the torments, the screams, the fear, the thirst, the lack of breath, the lack of sleep, the stench, the heat, the hopelessness, and the isolation from people. I desperately wanted to walk to a human being, but I knew I would never get the chance. You are kept from any kind of fellowship, conversation, or human interaction. Relationships are so valuable and it's easy to take them for granted. At the moment of death, a person does not want to be surrounded by things. That person wants to be surrounded by people who truly care for him and love him. It is extremely difficult to process thought of knowing you will never be able to relate with anyone ever again, especially those you love. The innate human de desire to communicate ask questions and relate with someone who shares in your suffering is never fulfilled in hell man uh, he goes on to write each person is isolated in extreme agony and is screaming in fear as fire and brimstone rain down upon him they are this they are together in the same way cattle are herded into a slaughterhouse a soul in such extreme agony would have no opportunity for a conversation. Besides, I believe everyone there is just on the verge of insanity. However, I believe you never go quite insane, for, for that would provide a form of escape. And there is no escape, even mentally. He goes on to write, My gaze followed up the beast up the sides of the wall, and I saw that there was a hole in, in top of the cave. It was the entrance to an upward tunnel approximately 35 feet in diameter. The fiendish creatures lined the tunnel walls as well. They were distinctly wicked. Their eyes were cauldrons of evil and death. Everything was filthy, stinking, rotten, and foul. And we're, we're going to talk about the part where these creatures start to have at him. So check this out. Just use your imagination. Alright? Albert Einstein, he said that logic will get you from A to B and your imagination will get you everywhere else. So we're going to use our imagination right now to put ourselves in the place of this man who was in hell. Mira, so check it out. The author writes, One of the creatures picked me up. The strength of the beast was amazing. I was comparable to the weight of a water glass in its hand. Mark 5, 3-4, describes a man possessed with a demon with these words. 
No one could bind him, not even with chains. The chains had been pulled apart by him, and the shackles broken in pieces. Instinctively, I knew that the creature holding me had strength approximately 1,000 times greater than a man. I could not explain how I perce perceived that bit of information. Then the beast threw me against the wall. I crumbled onto the floor. It felt as though every bone in my body had been broken. I felt pain, but it was also as if the pain was being softened somehow. I knew I did not experience the full brunt of the pain. I thought, how was it blocked? The second beast, with its razor-like claws and sharp, protruding fins, then grabbed me from behind in a bear hug. As it pressed me into its chest, the sharp fins pierced my back. I felt like a rag doll in its clutches, clutches in comparison with its enormous size. Then he reached around and plunged his claws into my chest and ripped them outward. My flesh hung from my body like ribbons as I fell again to the cell floor. These creatures had no respect for the human body. How remarkably it is made. I have always taken care of myself by eating, right, exercising, and staying in shape. But none of that mattered as my body was being destroyed right before my eyes. I knew I could not escape this torture via death, for not even that was an option. Death penetrated me, but eluded me. The creatures seemed to derive pleasure in the pain and terror they had inflicted upon me. Psalm 116.3 says, The sorrows of death compass me, and the pains of hell gate hold upon me. I found trouble and sorrow. Oh, and how I yearn for death, but there would be none. More from the book, the author Bill Weiss, he goes on to say, Suddenly, I began ascending through the tunnel. I didn't know how I was able to ascend or why. At first, I rose slowly, and as I went higher, I could view the vast wasteland of hell. I could now see more of the enormous pit, which looked to me as much as a mile across. However, this was just a fraction of hell's space. To the right of the large inferno were thousands of small pits, as far as I could see. Each pit was no more than three to five feet across and four to five feet deep, each pit holding a single lost soul. Psalm 94.13 refers to these pits by saying, Until the pit is dug for the wicked, as I ascend into the darkness, the fear of those horrific beasts was all-encompassing. I thought, who could fight just off one of these creatures? No one could. Many were so massive and strong. For an instant, I remembered a certain person my wife and I would see at our gym. We didn't know him, but we looked upon him with amazement because he was so big, powerfully built, and strong. I thought, even he could be no match for the demons. Continuing up, it seemed as if about 30 seconds had passed when suddenly a burst of light invaded the entire tunnel. The light was so brilliant, a pure white light like I have never seen. It was so bright that I could not see the face of the one who was before me, and I instantly knew who he was. I said, Jesus, and he said, I am. And I fell at his feet and was as if I had died. It seemed as if only a few moments had passed when I regained my awareness. I was still at his feet.
As I said, I didn't see his face. I only saw the outline of a man standing in a light that was so pure, bright, and for the lack of a better word, clean. There are no words to adequately describe what it was like to be in his presence. As Paul said in 2 Corinthians 12, 4, about being in heaven, he heard unspeakable words which it is not lawful for a man to utter. Words also can't describe the range of emotions I experienced in the presence of the Lord. Just a moment before, I had been in the bowels of hell just like someone who didn't know Jesus and was cursed and damned to eternal torment. As soon as he appeared, he restored awareness to my mind that I am a Christian. He had removed the knowledge that I am a Christian in hell. And he will go on to explain that reason shortly. The author continues to write, Peace had replaced terror, and safety took the place of danger. The feelings of worthlessness, shame, and humiliation disappeared as the value that he had placed on me was revealed. It was then that I truly understand how much God loves us. I was at once comforted, protected, and completely relieved. I noticed the burden and pressure of time was gone. Here in life, we seem to be in a hurry and always short of time. But in the spirit realm, there was no sense of the weight of time. Time doesn't even come to mind. This is most likely because we are outside of time altogether. It felt as if a huge weight, the weight of time, had been lifted from me. In his presence, I felt his infinite power, eternal majesty, absolute authority, inexpressible love, and unsurpassed peace. There was a comfort beyond my ability to even comprehend. His voice was full of strength and yet so very compassionate. It was totally authoritative and also tender. This is actually a futile attempt to describe it and a gross misrepresentation of who he is and how it felt to be in his presence. My ability to express the greatness and awesomeness of God is extremely limited. No one could ever put pen no one could ever pen words to adequate uh, let me start that sentence over. No pen ever jeez, I'm struggling over the sentence. Here we go final attempt. No one could ever pen words adequate enough to express his majesty. Oh, got that one. Third time is a charm. Let's go onward. I knelt at the feet of Jesus. I had no words to adequately express my gratitude. I just wanted to thank him over and over again. Even though I was relieved and comforted, at the same time I felt so sinful and dirty. Standing in the presence of a holy God, I was keenly aware of my sins. Jesus reached down and touched my shoulder. My strength instantly returned and I rose to my feet. My next thought was, why did you send me to this awful place? Before I could ask the question, he answered, because many people do not believe that hell truly exists, he told me. Even some of my own people do not believe that hell is real. I was amazed to hear that some Christians do not believe that hell is real. I know many people think that when you die, you are annihilated, or that hell is just a state of mind. 
That surprises me because the Bible informs us so thoroughly on the subject. It does not teach that you are simply annihilated. The teachings are very clear that hell is a place of eternal torment. I could sense the Lord's deep love for people to know the truth. Knowing that hell is a reality and how horrible it really is greatly deepens your appreciation and thankfulness. You know what? I'm going to jump in right there. Because after I read this book and the sentence that I'm going to talk about, knowing that hell is a reality and how horrible it really is greatly deepens your appreciation and thankfulness. Now, when I read stuff like this, it makes me see all of the miraculousness that exist in my life, all of the blessings, all of the abundance, all of the overflow, all of the power, all of the redemptive qualities that I that I possess. Man, it is it is a blessing to be in a position like that. And how grateful and fortunate am I to be born in this country with these parents, with these opportunities, with this infrastructure, with a field full of green grass that is a hundred feet away from my house that I can go take my little angelic daughter for a walk-in as she has our puppy on a leash. Man, that is heaven. Come on. What are some awesome things that you have that are so abundantly beautiful when they are contrasted with this pit of hell? The physical pit of hell, the real pit of hell. Hey, maybe even the the hell that you are allowing yourself to be in mentally, that poverty-stricken mindset. Hey, that's robbing you of something. So Jesus said to me, go and tell them about this place. It is not my desire that any should go there. Hell was made for the devil and his angels. The Lord said to me, it is not your job to convict their hearts. That responsibility belongs to the Holy Spirit. It is your part to go tell them. I was relieved to know that it was not my responsibility to convince anyone. He gave me the easy part. All I have to do is open my mouth and tell the people he draws them to himself. He was talking about how uh, the, the demons in hell, they were so powerful. And Jesus said to him, all you have to do is cast them out in my name. Suddenly there, in his presence, the, de the demonic creatures I just encountered in hell now seemed so powerless, they appeared to look like ants on the wall. So prior to being in the presence of Jesus, those terrifying, abundantly huge, demonic manifestation and concentrated form of evil and terror... Now in the presence of Jesus, they look like ants on a wall. And Jesus said, hey, all you have to do, all you have to do is cast them out in my name. So you have some evil spirits in your body, mind, soul, finances, world. 
all you have to do is cast them out in Jesus' name. Amen. Hallelujah. Go ahead and leave a hallelujah or amen in the comments and let's rebuke the devil and his angels. Let's go. Let's see, in Psalm 147.4, it says, He telleth the number of the stars. He calleth them by their names. They all have names. Can you imagine? Can you imagine all of the stars having names? How many stars are in the Milky Way galaxy? How many galaxies are there in the universe? And Psalm 147 says that, God knows all the stars by their names. Matthew 10.30 says that he knows every thought and intent of your heart. Proverbs 8.29 Everything on earth is in perfect balance and harmony. There is a bunch of awesome excerpts and biblical quotes and stories and anecdotes and descriptive words in this book. Go out and get it. Uh, because it's just going to put a little seed of thought in your mind to what is waiting for you if you reject God and Jesus and the Christianity fundamental faith. You know, one of the, the lies and the deceptions that can be or that can hold power over us and prevent us from acting out in faith is the lie that, hey, we're not worthy, we're gonna mess up, we've messed up in the past, we're gonna mess up in the future, so we feel inadequate of God's love, we feel unworthy of God's love, and we feel that, hey, there's only a 50-50 chance, so why even bother? But I would encourage you to go out and knock and seek and ask for faith and guidance and ask for God to show you a sign of of his existence in the world in your life and when you are out looking for the existence of God he will show himself to you he will put little cues he will tug on your heart and it will be undeniable and because you have done your part God will do his part and we have all of his promises that are written in the Bible that you can take to the bank and yeah man that's that's just how it works or you can just not forget it like I said it's a 50-50 chance all you have to do is have the faith the size of a mustard seed put some action into your faith and watch some miraculousness happening over your life. Now I know that it is important to recognize that beliefs about hell are based on faith and personal interpretations of religious texts. And the existence of hell cannot be empirically proven or disproven. So once again, 50-50 chance, maybe it does, maybe it doesn't, but what are we waging, wagering on? Our souls. Different individuals and religious groups will have a varying perspective on the nature, purpose, and even the literal existence of hell. 
Ultimately, whether or not hell is real is a matter of personal belief and faith. And man, check this out. It is a topic that has been discussed and debated for centuries. And people's views on it can differ widely. So, it is that question that has plagued mankind since day one for centuries. Is God real? Is heaven real? Is hell real? And for the everyday man like you and me, our brains are only eight pounds and our time on this earth is like a vapor and it is here momentarily and then gone. And during our existence on this earth, how can you feel that you have accumulated a definitive answer to what is real, what is right, what is true, what is false? How can you be so arrogant to believe that you solved all of the mysteries of the universe as it pertains to creation, being created? How can you just say that, hey, after this after this uh, life, we just die? Hey, maybe, maybe, maybe not. But like I said, that's a huge bargain. That's a huge wager. And your soul is what you're bargaining with. Now, I'm going to end this podcast with an opportunity to accept the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior. And generally, it involves acknowledging that you need Him as your Savior, that you accept Him as your Savior, confessing your sins, and placing your trust in Jesus as the Son of God, who died for your sins and rose again. It's a prayer of repentance and an invitation inviting Jesus into your life to be your Lord and Savior. Now here are some words you can repeat after me. And this is going to put you on the path to receive God and Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Dear God, I confess I am a sinner. Thank you that Jesus took my punishment upon himself when he died on the cross for my sins and then rose from the dead, defeating death. Today, I repent and place my trust in Jesus Christ alone for my salvation. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. If you, if you have prayed this short prayer, then you have made the wisest decision you will ever make. So go ahead and start reading your Bible, start looking up scripture, start looking for signs of his existence, and start looking for for strengths in places in your life where you're finding weakness. Start having a expecting heart of healing and abundance and overflow and positivity because it is coming. You you have been delivered from the deceiver, from the land of destruction, and you will be given beauty for all of your ashes. 
That is a promise. So until next time, hey, thank you so much for listening. Go out and get this book, 23 Minutes in Hell, written by Bill Weiss. And until next time, it is onward, always onward.